mysterious, pivotal chapter. One of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. Sincerely, one of the like 1,700 most important chapters. No, just beyond that. See, got out of that one, didn't I? Numbers chapter 13. The title of this message is Why We Won't Go. Because that really is our issue here. Pray with me right away. Would you please? Lord, even as we sang, break through the noise, bust through all of the clamor, get us to that place, Lord, where we can hear you and be captivated by you, where your word can grab our hearts, and where we today can be so caught up in you. Where we today can be so overwhelmed by your goodness, be so ministered to, that the therapy you have ordained for every one of us would come about today. You know where every one of us are. You know our weaknesses and strengths. You know our victories and our failures and our regrets. And you know how this chapter applies to each of us today. Don't let any of us miss that. So speak fluent us today, every one of us, right where we're at, that we could hear you, that we could know you, that we could be overwhelmed by you today, but in a way, Lord, where we could not just gather information, but be changed, that we could apply the truths here, take your exhortations and your warnings, and embrace every encouragement and promise you have set for us. So today, on this day, let your word take deep root in our hearts and our spirits. And let your word bear forth the fruit, Lord, you intend. So Lord, speak to every one of us individually as well as corporately. And have your way now, I pray. Minister, Lord, to each of us. May we walk out of here changed. All for the better. In Jesus' name, fill me with your spirit to do your work, your way. Amen. I would say this afternoon as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Let the Bible always have the final say. It's been a little over a year since our removal from bondage, from the enemy's hand in Egypt. We've watched God part the Red Sea. We've watched Him purify the water. We've watched Him rain bread. Bread, by the way, that we will look at and say, what is this? And actually call it so. Manah, or mana, means, what is it? But it'll become despised and insignificant in our eyes. The fact that there was a pillar reminded us that God was constantly there. The fact that there was a tabernacle reminded us that God always wanted to be the center of our lives. And because since the time, I should say, that he has become in the center, since that tent has been erected, the battle has ensued now about which direction we are to go. To the center where he is or to the outskirts. Oh, but the mixed multitude had that constant craving beyond the camp where the hobabs were, the ashes and the quail and the carcasses. And understand, this is more than just the history of a group of people and one of their greater failures. This is God showing us our x-ray spiritually. This chapter is the difference now of that moment where we leave the barren non-bondage of our past and even our presence to the 
future where there's a land of fruitfulness. Now, there are some that want to play this idea that over the Jordan is heaven. But the problem with that is there are battles to be fought there. There is compromise that will take place there. And that doesn't sound like heaven to me. I don't know about you, but the fact that I think that there are giants that need to be taken down in heaven sounds pretty darn weird. So what could that be in our lives? Can I just simply say that God removed them from bondage and they're in a place where they're not in bondage, per se, but they're in a place of barrenness. And for some, that would be enough. I'm glad that I'm not addicted to pornography or drugs or fighting or gossip or lusts of whatever sort it is and, and of greed and of, of, of I'm glad I'm not fighting with my husband or wife anymore. I'm glad that I'm not craving those things. I'm glad I'm not getting drunk every night. I'm glad I'm not running to the clubs to try to find love. I'm glad that, I, okay, that's my past now. What is it now? And understand, somewhere in that wilderness is that place where what we're known for now is what we weren't anymore, what we aren't anymore. And that's all the wilderness is, in a sense, is to start getting us from one spot to the other. So understand, for some, this is what Christianity looks like. It looks like not doing drugs, not sleeping with your girlfriend anymore, not being crazy, which the world identifies as all of their fun. But if that's all you have for your Christianity, I get the idea why you tend to think that Jesus is just about sending you to heaven. And like, these are the dues you pay before you get there. But understand, this promised land, on the other hand, wasn't a barren place. When God actually promised it to Moses, and I'd like you to kind of hear this here, when God actually promises this, he's going to tell him it's a land flowing with milk and honey. He already identifies all of these people that he's going to go, and he's going to take down every one of them. He goes, I know who lives there. I know what the problems are. There will be battles to be fought. But please understand, this is the place of fruitfulness. And for many of us, we may never know what that means as a Christian. We'll think our Christianity is about not doing those bad things and then waiting for heaven. But that's not the promised land on earth. The promised land on earth is where he takes you beyond that, where you disengage now from what you were to embrace what God wants to make you, which is fruitful. God didn't just intend the pastor to be fruitful, somebody with a badge to be fruitful, somebody with a title to be fruitful. He intended every Christian to be fruitful, to bear forth fruit. And Jesus says that, that your fruit not only would come, but that your fruit would remain as we're attached to him. So understand, as God starts to lead us into this, this is our pivotal moment where we disengage from the past and connect to the future, the promises that God's given us. That started, and by the way, those promises were given before we even said yes to him. And now we've taken our 11-day journey to a place called Kadesh Barnea, which will not be called Kadesh Barnea here, but rather simply Kadesh. And I'll explain that in a moment. So chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the children of Israel. From each tribe to their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Now, in the book of Numbers, it sounds kind of nice, like God saying, this is what I would prefer. The problem is, is that when we get this reviewed in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and if you'd like to, just to check on me, go ahead and turn to the right, after Numbers is the book of Deuteronomy, and go to the first chapter. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting in verse 21, when Moses is reviewing the situation, Moses says to the people, Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As, it, as the Lord of God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. Or literally, stop freaking out. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us. Oh, and bring back word to us by the way in which we should go and of the cities under which we should come. So understand this idea of sending spies was not God's idea. It was man's. That becomes the problem in the beginning of this. So when Moses says, All right, now God told us this, this was God's consolation. 
And it's important to note that that can happen in all of our lives. We could have those moments where we say, God, this is what I really want, this is what I really need, and this isn't what God intends, but He will concede. It is amazing how quickly we'll tell everyone else it was God's will. And so it says, send a man, send a leader. So Moses, verse 3, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, which I remind you means to shake the tree or an ornament. According to the commandment of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were the names of the children, and we have each one from a tribe. Reuben, the guy's name is Shemua, obviously part killer whale. Um, his name, by the way, means renown. Um, he is the son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shephat, which means judge, the son of Hori. By the way, means troglodyte. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, which means dog, of the son of Yefuna, which means he'll be prepared. And then one you'll actually want to make sure that you know, verse 7, when it says, and of the tribe of Issachar, Igal. Can you say Igal? Why is it important? Because the name means, are you ready for this? Avenger. One of the Avengers were the spies. Now, it doesn't tell us which one. Captain Israel or something, I'm not sure. Egal, the son of Yosef, which means people are multiplying. And then we have from Ephraim, Hoshea, which, by the way, means literally salvation, like salvation I desire, salvation I crave, is the idea. The son of Nun, which means perpetuity. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, which means delivered. Of the son of Rafu, which means cured. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, which means the fortune of God. The son of Sadi, which means confident. Of the tribe of Yosef, as the tribe of Manasseh, Tagadi, which means fortune, of the son of Susi. Oh, you can imagine the fun I had with this. Susi means horse-like. Pray for my wife. Anyways, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, which means the people of God, the son of Gamaldi, which means camel driver. By the way, my dad's name is camel driver. From the tribe of Ashur, Setur, which means hidden, the son of Michael, which means who is like God. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nahbi, which means occult or whisperer. The son of Vafshi, which means additional. And from the tribe of God, Guel, which means the majesty of God. The son of Machi, which means pining. Now these are the names of the, son, the men of Moses sent in to spy the land. Now, Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Yehoshua. So Joshua gets the name changed. We have nobody else in scripture. Moses changes their name, but this one. So a guy that's name is, I desire, oh, I want or I crave salvation, gets changed to, the Lord is salvation. Yehoshua. Yahweh is salvation. And this guy is such a fun guy. He's introduced in chapter 17 as a soldier. In chapter 24, he is a sidekick. In chapter 33, if you remember of Exodus, all these in Exodus. In chapter 33, he's the one who stays when Moses goes in and out of the tabernacle to get a word and give it to the people. Yahushua, Joshua is the one who just stays in there. And now here he is as a spy. So a soldier, sidekick, staying and spy. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And this is what Moses says. Go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains. Look at verses 18 through 20 with me, please. This becomes the crux. See what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are weak or strong, few or many. Whether the land that you dwell in is good or, that they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. And whether the land is rich or poor, or whether they are forests there or not. Now please understand, this is where the rubber sort of meets the road. Because what... This is, by the way, I remind you, a consolation from God and a request from the people. The same people, by the way, who've been complaining. The same people who've said, oh, we wish that we had just gone back to Egypt. The same people that have actually had all kinds of problems up with this point. It's one of the reasons why it's hard to take a vote amongst such a congregation of these people. And in, in all of that, by the way, what they're doing here is they're evaluating the worth it factor. And it's the same with every one of us, by the way. And it really is this, in the simplest sense, the value of the prize versus the size of the battle. That really is it. In other words, it's the fruit versus the fight. And that's what they're evaluating here. Tell us about the land. Is it good or bad? Is it rich or poor? Is it plush or is it barren? That's what they're asking, isn't it? Now, God had already said this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, when God said to Moses, first, I've come down to deliver the people into the hand of, uh, to deliver out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and large land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey, that's the idea of things that are abundance, and to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Understand, when God said that, he says, look at the people that are there, I'm already going to take them down. You don't even have to worry about that. I'm aware of them. I know there are battles to be fought, but it's my job to get you in, and it's good land. In Leviticus chapter 20, where God reiterates this now to the people, when he says in verse 24, But I've said to you, you shall inherit the land. I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the people. I will give it to you. So understand, when we start to evaluate the size of the battle, it becomes kind of crazy. But that's what happens here, beloved. Is not only is it, so when they're saying, so go check out the land, in other words, what you're saying, go check it out and see if it's really what God said it was. Isn't that what we're doing here? God says, it's better than any place you can imagine. You've never known a land like this. You've never known a place like this before. A place of fruitfulness. A place of great joy. A place of freedom and fruitfulness and not just, not bondage. So they say, well, let's go find out. Go spy it out for yourself. We need some spies to go check and see whether God really meant what he said. And that God's promise was twofold. One was, it was a, it's the best place for you. It is the place I have ordained for you. It is your best place. But then the second is, I'll get you in. So then they say, well, let's evaluate the second thing. The second thing is the people. Are they strong or weak? Rich? Are they, are, are they strong or weak? The, in other words, what is our opposition? Who is going to oppose us? Is it camps or strongholds? I mean, camps, let's face it, that means they probably don't have weapons. They probably aren't, you know, it isn't like they're not on the internet yet. They don't have flushing toilets. Chances are they're not that dangerous if we come in with guns is the idea here. And what are the obstacles? Are there camps? Are there strongholds? And you realize doubt's already in the camp. Please, please hear me in this. How many of you have even thought what it would be like to be where God wanted you? See, the problem is we don't even consider how great that place is. So the only thing we're looking at is the size of the fight. You know what I'm saying? And so what we do here is we evaluate this from a very strange place. Because what we're doing is we're going, oh, I know there are going to be battles to be fought. I mean, if I really want God's best, there are going to be sacrifices that are going to need to be made. There are going to be some things I'm going to need to do that are going to be unfriendly. And there are going to be some people I'm going to really offend. And that's not what they're saying here. Tell me about the people. What's going to my opposition going to look like? I mean, hey, look at first of all, notice it's twofold. We don't even send people in to look at the land and trust. We should just assume it's best because God said it was, because he's already done everything beyond what we could have imagined. Parting the Red Sea, I guarantee you, was in none of our scripts before God did it. It wasn't like we went, oh, we'll probably get to the Red Sea and God will wall it up on both sides. We'll walk through it and then we'll watch all of our enemies drown in front of us so God could clearly show us there'll never be a threat to you again. He could have just had them not pursue, and then we'd live the rest of our life sleeping with one eye open. Isn't that true? But out of kindness, God let them pursue. And we would, we're complaining, oh, God, what are you doing? Come on, you got us out to kill us here. Could you see God going, hey, day, how long do I have to do this? And God's saying, oh, I know this is only the beginning. But to, to, to kill your enemy in front of you, where you couldn't do it, but he did, in a way that you could never have done it. It isn't like any of you go, oh, you know what, I've been working on this, like, I've watched the last airbender like 12 times, and I feel like I can go, oh, and I can just move the, no, nobody's doing that. It's like, you know, I was looking at my breakfast cereal, and I parted it on both sides with my mind. It's like, no one's doing that. God had to do it in such a way that none of us could plan it, none of us could logic it, no scientist could, you know, they would say, that's unscientific. Well, of course it is. You know what's another word for that? Miracle. And to do it in such a way so that we, and think of the faith when God says, okay, it's walled up on both sides, which one of you steps in first? I'm thinking, I lost my mind. What did we eat in the wilderness? Because it looks like there's dry ground right here. And you can see Moses going, who's first? Imagine it's like, right? And then after a few steps, yeah, boom, you know? Even the old people, they got crutches. It's like over their shoulders. Because of, and then we watch the enemy pursue. Now, which one of you, if you were the enemy, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that doesn't normally happen, but let's go anyways. Really? But to watch God do that, and then to purify water, to sweeten water and rain bread. 
It's like, have I not done beyond what you could have imagined so far? In the wilderness before you were even fruitful? Haven't I done more? And I've got a better place for you. A place where the whole world gets changed by you. Where you become a world changer, a history maker. All the way back with the man who started this family, Abraham, when God promised him to leave with all of that and to challenge him. And then the promise with it is not just that I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, which makes me mental when I think people try to be kind to Israel because of that. That's like playing a lottery ticket, only one you're sure you'll win. Benjamin's like, hey, I'm going to be kind to you because God promised if I'm kind to you, I'm going to get blessed. Which one of you would feel real blessed by that? Like, you're playing me. But he said in the middle of that, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing. That's a crazy thought. I'll take that over all the other things, over all the land and all of the other things. The idea of being a blessing. Now, some of you, maybe you weren't there, but I know what it's like to be a curse. I know what it's like to walk in a room and have it worse because I got there. I know what it's like to hurt people. I mean, really, really hurt people without even knowing it. Oh, praise God for Jesus. So please hear me. We really need to know here. Let's, let's see if this land is everything God said it was. Is it really that fruitful? You know what the problem is? Where would we go to discover that? Where would we even spy? Church? Isn't that where it should be? A place where there are people who really congregate and love Jesus. We're bearing forth fruit. Can you think of a handful of people you know that have walked with the Lord for a while and because of it, they seem better for it today than when they started? Or we just grow cynical and nasty and rotten, aloof and uncaring and uninterested, apathetic. Is that where we go? Not in my world. So let's see. What about it? Is it worth it? Is it worth the fight? See, because if we don't even see how amazing, and can I just say... There is nothing, nothing. There's nothing like walking with Jesus where he wants you. Following him at the betrayal of your own heart, but knowing it's right. To do that where you know you would give up anything because no matter what he says, and it doesn't have to make sense because it seldom does, and it doesn't have to make you comfortable because it seldom does, because the Lord has not promised us a life of comfort. He promises to be our comfort in this life. And the moment we start to follow him there, amazing things start to happen. But if you don't know how good that is, then all you'll see is the fight. So we're picking heads. You and you and you and you. You look like a good, strong guy. And, you know, I mean, I heard the way you play football. We're going to have to bring you in because you're fleet-footed. You know, and, you know, and, oh, and of course, we've got to bring you guys in. Of course, Lucas, we've got to bring you in. And Bjorn, you've got to bring you in because you're like, you know, Bjorn and you know, ultimatum. And, you know, and we're going to bring you guys in. And, of course, duh, Peter, got to bring him in to protect the rest of you. Okay, okay, you guys, look at Now, I'm going to send you in, and what I want you guys to do is just go and find out whether God really means what he says on the first half, but on the second half, we've already denied it. Because we're like, and tell us what the battle's going to look like because we tend to think it's going to be us anyways. In other words, we don't even believe half of it. The other half is still in doubt. That's where we started this. Do you see that? No wonder why it tells us in Hebrews that they wouldn't enter because of unbelief. Now understand, in other words, you know why most, most people will not get to that place? Because they really just don't trust God. They're like, but if I'm full on for you, Lord, I won't get any jobs. Well, who's supposed to give you the job? But if I don't, if I follow you with everything, I'm going to die single. Well, hey, if God's not giving you the person you're supposed to marry, don't marry him, for goodness sakes. And you go, but if I really give him everything, then you know what will happen? Your life will be so overflowing, you won't need anything else. You'll be a blessing to him instead. Oh, but are there battles to be fought? Oh, there are. The question is, who's supposed to fight them? So listen. Moses says, then be of good courage. Bring some of the fruit back, by the way. Now, it says, for the fruit of the land. Now, the time of, notice that, this is the end of verse 20. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. You know when that is, by the way? That is actually, literally, right now. 
in the, in the year. So, you know, it, 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 that's, that's the profundity. We're at this point. By the way, it's a season of great joy. Grapes always symbolize that, by the way. In Micah 7, 1, by the way, we read about the summer fruits, and of those, by the way, are grapes. So they went and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin. I'll go ahead and put up that map, if you would, please, Daniel. Verses 21 and 22, look at it with me, because they're actually ones you could read really quickly past. Oh, but we shouldn't. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehov, near the entrance of Hamat. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Achiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Doesn't that just reach you right in the gut? Oh my goodness. Oh, Hebron built seven years before Zoan. How amazing is that? And these people, Achiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. Now, if you don't really give it any credence, what you do is you kind of read really quickly. Let's get back to the story, right? Don't give me any details. Just give me right to the story, right? You ever have people that are like that? You're trying to tell them details on something because it's like, I need you to do something. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're off to do it before you give them the details of what to do. And by the time you're done, you know that they're not going to do it the right way. So listen for a moment. As you look at the map for a second, I just want to point out here a couple things. This is the map, of course, where they're going to wind up going. Now, it's important to note, by the way, a lot of this can, to this day can be extremely fruitful in a land of great barrenness, which is, by the way, part of the fun of this. But it's more than just that. Because God, by the way, I mean, the Bible is big enough Yet as big as the Bible is, God wants to take careful note to make sure we get these places. Why in the world would he do that? Well, let me kind of give you a couple of clues here on this. I'm just trying to find my pointer to see if that will help you at all. I'm probably not going to even find it. Let's see. The, the people are parked in the south. But can you guys find Zoan there? Can anyone find that? Okay, that's not very difficult to find, is it? Okay, Zoan, by the way, is just, did you notice, what, what country, what continent is that on? Can anyone tell me what continent Zoan is on? Africa. That's Tanis, by the way. Like Tunisia, that's where we're looking at here. Okay, this area here, by the way, is the area of Goshen. Does that sound familiar to any of you? What was in Goshen? Two years ago, what was in Goshen? Two and a half million Israelites. That's where they lived. If you remember, that's where God actually sectioned off the area so that they wouldn't be punished by the same things that God took on the rest of the, uh, the gods of Egypt. Now, as you look at this area here, by the way, so this is where they're from. And we have these two areas, this area of Hebron and this area here of Zoan. And that's what he tells us, that one is older than the other. Now look at your Bibles, tell me, which one's older? Oh, I love it. You're digging in for a moment here. You're like, I didn't know there would be a quiz. So which one's, which one's older? Hebron. Excellent. Well done. Now, follow me on this for a second. This is where we, we were. By the way, for what it's worth, this particular area here, <laughs> this means stronghold. By the way, Zoan means stronghold. This is where we were. This, by the way, Hebron means fellowship. Now, follow me on this for a second. This area here of Zoan was the area where the Sephardic kings used to be. The Hyksos is what they were called. Now, Sephardic kings mean they were actually the pharaohs during a period of time that weren't actually Egyptian. They were actually shepherd kings. Now, interesting, because the last of those great shepherd kings took a a, a second guy, a guy as his assistant. And what happens is after that Sephardic king was overtaken, he was overtaken by an Egyptian king. Are you following me on this? And because he was an Egyptian king, he refused to accept any of the laws that were passed by the Sephardic kings. Now we read it this way. There arose a king who did not know Joseph. Does that sound familiar? Would not accept his leadership or any of the things that had been passed to him. And the reason was because that was all passed by a king that was an Egyptian so the pharaohs from that point on were there. So, but hear me on this for a second, because when we start to think of those things that are really, really old, 
we tend to think of them as the things that are the hardest to change. Think about it. Those things that you've had to deal with for so long that you're like, you know what? I've struggled with this since I was 11. I've struggled with this. I mean, this thing happened to me when I was five or whatever. And you think they'll never change. They're strongholds. Interesting. Is that what that place is called? No, like they'll never, they'll never change. But you know what God tells us here? Is that there's something that happened before that. Something that's even older. And the thing that's even older is called fellowship. And understand, when God created man, he created him for fellowship. The first man was made with fellowship. And before any stronghold was ever made, seven years, he tells us specifically. And by the way, seven, the word, if you want to say covenant in Hebrew, you use the word shiva, which means seven, literally. I get the idea there's this covenant in between, this time between, but, but first was the fellowship. Then came the stronghold. And the reason I say that is if you think something's unchangeable, God has this commitment to fellowship with humankind that goes way before the time that there's ever been a stronghold. In your life too, by the way. Because it says that by him and for him you were created. Now please understand, he sticks this in right now. Why? Because we're going to go spy out the land to see what the battle's like. And it's like, before you even get to the battles of where I want you, you need to know that I created you to be with me. I created you for fellowship. And because of that, no matter what strongholds there are in your life, whatever things you think are so old, they'll never change. You need to know before any of that happened, I created you to be with me. And you need to know before any of that stuff ever took root, I had already called you by name. I already want you. I've already redeemed you. All of that's there. I'm just waiting for you to say yes now. Does that make sense? And God wants to stick that in here for good reason. Oh, but there's more. Notice what else he tells us in this particular text. And this is why we, it's amazing we've gotten this far. He says, listen, we went to these particular places. By the way, near the end of the Hamad. And by the way, these places mean things like pricky. That means like to poke you like thorns, to wall you in. That's kind of the idea of these words that are here. And then it says that there were these three people. Notice it says, and they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Remember, that means fellowship. And we get these three guys' names. Do you see them there? Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai. Do you see that in verse 22, saints? Okay, there's, is that a yes? Because I'm just checking to make sure you're still alive. And they're the sons of Anak. Do you see that? So they're Anakim. They're so big, they were skywalkers. Sorry, just kidding. Um, so Hebron was built seven years before. Now listen, Anak means to choke. And he was a giant. Now, let's be honest. These are our biggest battles. Do you see that? Why? Because they're our biggest opponents. Do you see that? They're giants. And we have three of their names here. Here's the first. Ready? Ahiman. Can you say Ahiman? Ahiman means my brother the gift. Can I suggest to you one of the greatest battles you are going to face is how you compare yourself. You can sit over there if you want. Is to compare yourself to somebody else. That desire to be popular, the desire to be important, the desire to be noticed. And that will be one of the challenges you're going to face. The second, the term shishai. Shishai, by the way, means to bleach, like to bleach a stain. And I get the idea of this as I look and I think of how do we get white, clean, pure from the stains we've had? To be honest, for some of us, it will be our past that if we don't disengage, if we don't detach, we'll never get to the land he's ordained. Does that make sense? And then we get to the third one, Talmai. And Talmai, by the way, means to accumulate. Like to be Hungry for riches and stuff to accumulate. And I get it. Because understand, in between me and that place where I'm not in bondage necessarily anymore. I'm in this place where I'm still trying to figure out who in the world I am. And all I can say is, well, what I am is I'm an ex-slave. Kind of an ex-Egyptian worker from the trade union. I'm an ex-brick maker. I'm an ex 
straw gatherer. I'm an ex whatever it is over here. And that's kind of what I'm known of first. But God says, here's where I want you. Well, that's not even you anymore. What you're known for is the fruitfulness in this promised place. But in between that, there are going to be some giants here. From a person that means to choke. And I go, wait a minute. That reminds me of something from the New Testament when Jesus tells us about seed that fell into soil. And it fell among the, tho- the, th- the weeds, the thorns, and it choked them. Do you remember what those things were? The cares and the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And isn't that what these guys are? There's me wanting to be like my brother the gift. Oh, I've got to be cool like him and I've got to be, oh, I'll never be him. Or I'm, I'm going to be better than him. And then there's the, oh man, my past, I'll always be stained. How do I make, how do I make me clean? Well, if I go to church enough, and if I give enough, if I'm, you know, and I'm, I read enough, and I memorize enough, and I pray enough, and I say this word, and I do this, and I give money to this, and I burn candles, and I light incense, and I run around and put mustard on my head, or whatever it is, maybe I'll be clean, and I shave my heads, and I, you know, on my head, and I, whatever. And I call my kids different names. Then what? You'll be so busy doing that, you'll never enter into a place of fruitfulness. Because all you'll be remembering by is, is your past. Hey, look at I am not trying to belittle horrible things that have happened to any of you in your past. I'm not trying to say that we're insignificant. But I'm here to tell you my God is bigger. The point of all this is, God already knew those giants, and it's God's job to take the giants down. Do you get it? It's not yours. So your past... And all of the stains, it's God's job to take it down. The comparison to other people, look at, can I just say this? I'm awesome because Jesus died for me at the cross. And if I were the only one that had ever said yes, he would have still done it anyways. Now, you're awesome for the same reason. Because even if you were the only one who have ever said yes, Jesus would have still died on the cross anyways. Just to be with you, because he would rather die than live without you. Nowhere else in the world will you get validated if you can't get validated there, because he's the only one who knows every rotten, filthy, nasty, disgusting thing about us. He's the only one. And he still wanted to anyways. And if you can't get validated at the cross, you won't be validated anywhere. And I go and I go, okay, this whole comparison to other people thing, that's got to die. This whole living on my past and just this is what identifies me, I get it. And remember Jesus in John 5, he looks at this man and he goes, do you want to be well? Remember that? The pool of Bethesda, Bethesda means the house of mercy. It was just a crazy question. Do you want to be well? You're like, duh, why wouldn't I want to be well? Let me give you four reasons that are five, F-I-V-E. F is because you're familiar with your problem. I, because you can be irresponsible because of that problem. V, because you could play the victor, the victim card. And, and it's like, here, and listen, please hear me in this. That with every one of these things, and with the E, it's your excuses, by the way. You could say, you know what, I'll never be because of this thing that happened. I'll never be anything special because of this thing. I'll never be a world changer because my world was, was, was mucked up, was tweaked, was whatever here. Because I've got a divorce. Because I was a drug addict. Because something horrible happened to me when I was a teen. Because of this thing that I did. Can I just tell you, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. And by the way, those people who are saying that are people who really know what it's like to leave something behind? Gladly leave something behind. And I'm asking you the same question. Do you want to be well? Or would you rather just stay in what's familiar? Rather be irresponsible because you're like, you know, it's because I'm... Play the victim card. Keep your excuses. But I'll tell you what, I'm not interested because I want to see the, the Lord change this place and I want to be a part of it. Ah, it's the second guy. Then there's the third. Accumulate. There's a giant. Because I'm so busy trying to get stuff, I won't take what the Lord offers. And please hear me. This was from a verse we would have read quickly through, right? Because we're like, well, people, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Places, wherever. Like, I'm never going to be there. People, like, I'm never going to meet them. They're giants. I don't think I'm going to see them in heaven. 
will follow me in this. So God says, I'm well aware that there are giants, but I'm well aware that I'm going to take them down. Artie Samizah, when I promised you this. And the land is everything I said it is. So listen as we wrap this around. Verse 23. They came to the valley of Eschol. By the way, that means cluster. Because the, and you can see from the, if you want to look on that map, you can see kind of where that is. Because the cluster of the, uh, which the men cut down there, and they returned from spying after 40 days. Now, by the way, go back to verse 23. They came to the valley of Eschol. They cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. How many clusters of grapes? That should be the easiest question I ask you, right? How many clusters of grapes? Just one cluster, right? They carried it between two of them on a pole. You gotta give an idea? Now, there's two different views of that. One is like the grapes were like bowling balls, or it was just a giant cluster of grapes. One way or the other, here's the thing nobody ever sees in this chapter. And it just blows my mind that this is the case. Says so they also brought some pomegranates and figs. Here's the thing. People say there's giants in the land. Yeah, but you know what else there is? Giant fruit in the land. Do you see that? It's like, how did you miss that? Well, because of the giants. It's like, listen, do you kind of get the weirdness that maybe where there are giant battles to be fought, there's giant fruit to be gained? I'm like, no, 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 all I see is the giants. I'm like, look at the giant fruit. These two guys have to carry a thing of grapes on a pole. And these are guys, by the way, who carry swords as heavy as some of you in this room. These aren't guys that are like, oh my goodness, that shopping bag's heavy. These are guys that are like, you go, give me one of those things. Whoa, right? And they're like grabbing something made out of concrete and banging someone on the head with it. And the reason I say that is when, you have to, when two of those guys have to carry something on a pole, what does that tell you? Do you want that kind of fruitfulness? Do you really? Or is it just that you're fearful of the fight? Because if you can't see the fruitfulness, well then, for goodness sakes, why join the fight? So God says, I already know about that, but look at the size of this. And they bring back some pomegranates. It makes me wonder what the pomegranates were like. Pumpkins? Pumpkin granites? They're like, oh yeah, I can see these guys carrying this pole. The guy's like, whoa, what do you got? It's a pomegranate. Yeah, scary, isn't it? Okay, now listen. And some figs. The place they call the Valley of, of Clusters, because of the men in the Israel, it says there, cut down there. They returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Interesting. They should know what it's like to be gone 40 days. Moses has been gone 40 days on two different occasions in Exodus 24 and 32. It tells us then that they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Penan at Kadesh. Could you see where it says in verse 26, Kadesh? Do you see that? The place is ultimately going to be called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh, by the way, means holy place or sanctuary. It's an important place. Interesting, the word Barnea literally means to wander, to be a fugitive. It's interesting, it's not added here the first time, is it? Because it's just a holy place until you actually remove your faith. And even the holiest of places can be a place of wandering if you're not going to trust them. Hey, by the way, one of the holiest places are trials. You may not like that, but there are times when the Lord puts us in a trial to purify us, to prepare us for greater things, to reveal himself to us, like the storm. And there he is right in the midst of it. And yet right in the midst of it, if we don't trust him, we'll wander longer. Because we're like, oh God, why did you put me in this? By Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 2, he'll call it Kadesh Barnam first time it's introduced as such, which means then, if you will, the sanctuary of wandering. They brought back word to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, verse 27. Then they told them, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. In other words, guess what? God actually meant what he said. When he said that it was beautiful land, better than you can imagine, he was true. He wasn't lying. Oh, that part where he said he would give it to us, where he was his battle to fight, oh, we keep forgetting about that part. But listen, can I just say, it really is. It really is that good and better. You really can't get better on earth. I've had more money than I could spend. I've had more popularity than I could ever desire. I've had more power and all of those things that people crave. At one point in my life, I'm one of those people that God's given it all to. 
And He's showing me how empty and futile and worthless it all is. You play in front of 30,000, 40,000 people where you can't even see the end of it. The whole thing looks like an ocean. It just looks liquid. When one person moves, it creates a Doppler effect. I know what that's like. And nothing compares to walking with Jesus. Nothing. I'm not just talking about walking with Him like, hey, guess what? I don't get to go to hell. But I'm talking about getting to do this with you. Getting to praise Him. Getting to watch how God affects human lives and getting to be a part of that. Getting to go in the water with you and watch you testify how Jesus has made you new. There's just nothing like that. And I would gladly trade in all of that and all just for one moment of that. I'm here to testify the fruit's for real. There's no place better. None on this side. To come across the Jordan, though, it's going to take some faith. And all faith is this trust. It just means trust. Are there battles to be fought? Of course there's battles to be fought. But they're not yours to fight. The battle you fight is the one of faith. The battle God fights is everything else. Because if you trust Him, He'll take the, down the giants right in front of you. So they say, nevertheless, verse 28, the land is everything God said. But the people who dwell in that land are too strong. The cities are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Anakim. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Now, interestingly enough, I don't know if you remember this, but back in Rephadim, there was one of these groups, the, um, the Amalekites, who they've already fought. That was where every time Moses raised his hand, they won. Do you remember that? So do you really think you should be afraid of a group of people that have already been defeated by you once? And he said, oh, they're all, they're all giants. I'm like, how could they all be giants? We've already fought a group of those guys, and they lost to us the last time. Oh, but there's all of these people. They're the very same groups, by the way, that God said he, would already, he, he knows they're there, and he's going to give it to them anyways. He's going to take, take them down. God specifically promised he would take these people out. And so it says, Caleb quieted the people, which means they're already freaking out. There's a panic happening because of this bad report. And he said, he said, quieted the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. Moses is four, I'm sorry, uh, Caleb is 45 years old right here. How do I know that? Because later on, when they go to take the land, 40 years from now, or 38 years from now, he's going to be 85. He's going to go, hey, I spied out some land, and I still want it. Man, there's a boy. That's what I want right there. And what he says, let us go up at once, take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land that, which they had spied out. Saying the land in which we've gone, which we have gone as spies, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And notice it says, and all the people whom we saw in the in, in it were men of great stature. There were three. Do you remember that? Three of them. But notice how three became all all of a sudden. Hey, have you ever had that happen? I watch it in marriage counseling. You always, you never. Always is three times. You always. Like when? Like right now? No, but like back a couple of years ago. It is amazing how you can turn three giants into the entire population. Please hear me in this. Do you know what they miss in all of this? Keep reading. We saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. We compared ourselves to them, and we were small. Does that sound familiar? And so we were even in our own sight and in theirs. So the people cried, they wept that night, and the people of Israel complained. All the children of Israel complained. Against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Look at that little cute little addition. Because now... <laughs> We would just happily die here in comparison. By the way, we're only getting to verse 10, by the way. 
Why has the Lord brought us out of the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children would become victims. It would have been better for us to return to Egypt. Can I just say, the accuser is always looking for an opportunity to accuse God. And the most powerful word he can use is the word, why? Why did I lose that child? Why did that not work out? Why did that business venture go bankrupt? Why did that person go crazy? Why did I get sick? Why did I miss the bus at that moment when I was going to be the perfect audition? Why, why, why? It's amazing how the enemy loves to jump in in a moment like that. Why would God do this? You know what you're saying? You are in route for this next statement. Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Let's just go back. Let's just go back to that. It's not worth the fight. I mean, yeah, his land is everything God promised. And I know he promised that he would take us in, but I'm not hearing any of that right now. All I hear is how I have to fight this practically. I know that there's battles to be fought, and I'm going to have to be a part of it. And to be honest, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. So let's just get divorced. Let's just bail out on everything. Let's commit suicide. Just quit it all. Bail on this whole Jesus thing. You know what? Okay, maybe Jesus will be good for heaven, but right now, I'm just going to go and live for me. And you see it. You watch it over and over and over again. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Yephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their, crow, their clothes, which means they, they are grieving. And they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel and said, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Without a doubt. Nobody doubts that land is good. Here's the part you're missing on the other part. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. They're our bread. And don't miss this. Our bread... We despised bread just in the last chapter. Do you remember that? Bread was insignificant to us. We were missing it because we wanted quail. You know what they are? Insignificant. I can't even say it. It's so insignificant. Their protection is departed from them. And listen, and the Lord is with us. So stop fearing them. Don't fear them. The congregation, you know how they responded? They grabbed stones to stone them. And the glory of the Lord appeared in a tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel to stop this whole thing before it got any crazier. And that's where we end today. Listen. If God said that it was good, it's good. If God said He'd get you there, He'll get you there. The problem is, is that the land being good could be all about theory. You can write books about how good the place is. You can write about statistics. You can make movies and write all kinds of things that way. But in the end of it all, the practical part's the part we struggle with. And the practical part is, how do I now take life and move forward into that spot? Well, doesn't it start by asking God to start taking down some giants in our life? God, tr- give me the trust that I wouldn't be governed by these things, by fear of rejection of people. Take me to that place where you take down the giant, where I don't live anymore attached to the stains of my past. Take me beyond that place now. Take down that giant where I don't have to live to get more stuff. But to make you my contentedness. Because you know how you bear fruit? You cling. That's what you do. That's what Jesus taught us in John 15. He's the true vine, we're the branches. And you can't bear fruit on your own. The same way that a gal, if she lived on an island by herself, can't have babies. I'm not trying to be weird. You get the idea. You kind of have to be intimate. And the Lord's like, I really want to do that. Not in some weird way. The bottom line is if we cling to Christ, we find this stuff happens. Here, we're still figuring out who we are. Maybe who God is, is our provider and our care and our protector. And when we take this step over here and it's like, Lord, beyond this place, beyond the Jordan, this place over here, I've got to really trust you. I've got to walk on water to get there. And you know what's so cool? Is once you get there, it's amazing when you go, you know what? That guy was right. 
the scripture's right. So let me ask you honestly, beyond the Christian costume we put on where we nod at the right moments and agree ideologically with things, are you willing to pray with me those dangerous prayers today? God, please take down those giants in my life. Give me the faith. Here's the good news. We read that God gave us all a measure of faith. That's what scripture tells us in, in Romans. And then it says faith comes by hearing and not the word of God. One of the things we get and we, as we get to do this for so long is you get more faith. A 10-minute sermon with all due respect? Hey, that's great, but you're getting like an hour full of faith here. And I want to encourage you. Come and follow me. Let's go. And what's going to happen is God's going to put... And I'm watching it happen. He's sticking people in like, you know, in the Lion King and in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. He's watching people in, on Oxford Street. And we're watching people in classrooms. And all of a sudden, crazy things are starting to happen. You know why? Because someone decided, I'm going to trust you, God. Maybe they'll hate me. Maybe they won't. And they start cheering. And the next thing you know, people start, like, getting saved. Isn't it strange what happens when you do what God says? Things that God say would happen, happen. That's the beautiful part. So people are going to prisons and sharing Jesus there. People are going out on the streets and sharing Jesus there. You know the beautiful part about it is? It happens so supernaturally naturally. It's almost hard to see you doing it. But when you delight in the Lord, it all just happens. And dancers start to dance for Christ. And you watch people get affected and saved and transformed. On the other side of it, there's a place here where we get consumed with ourselves. And that's what we do here, let's be honest. We say, you know, it's all about me. And how come they? And what about this? And you know what? I didn't get it the way I wanted. And it's all about me. And this is what I expected. And it wasn't what I hoped for and whatever. And it's like, you know what? Die in the wilderness if you want to. I don't want to live there. But I would rather encourage you, come with me. And let's celebrate this God together. Now listen. It all starts with this. The way we step out of Egypt is the death of the firstborn. It's the slaughter of the Lamb of God. That's what we read in Exodus 12. And in the same way, as we are all sinners and we all start at the same place, God so loved you and me that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He died on the cross to pay our debt, to, be, to take our punishment, and then rose from the grave to offer us a new life. The question is, have you accepted that gift? That's where this starts. If you haven't, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say yes to him today. I don't have to fancy that. Notice I didn't doll it up at all because the simple truth is simply powerful. And the beautiful part about this is his Holy Spirit convicts. He'll tell you it's true. But the moment you say yes to that, then we start on this journey where we walk through and we start leaving who we were and we disengage with what we were and we start embracing this place of fruitfulness in front of us. And that's exactly what Paul would say when he leaves what is behind and presses forward for the upward call of God. Call, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So there's two prayers to be prayed here. First, if you've never accepted that gift of Christ, to offer you that gift and allow you to say yes. If you have said yes, then let's pray to go beyond that now to take down those giants and to start going into the place he ordained for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done here today. And Lord, I know it's so... so beyond just... information, theology. There's this place where we all realize in our lives there are things, Lord, that are going to be battles to be fought. Sometimes we feel like the battles are to be fought and it isn't like anything's to be gained on the other side. Show us that is not so with you. And I thank you, Lord, that there is a place you promised of great fruitfulness. To be a world changer, a history maker. But that place you've ordained for us, that place you've ordained for us takes faith. So we have to trust you that the place you have for us is best. And we have to trust you that it's your job to get us there. Our job is to walk in faith. 
not by sight. So I pray first for the believers in this room, myself included, that you would give us, Lord, that courage to say yes today, to allow you to take down those giants, not for the sake of just simply having them not in our lives or not before us, but rather because they are interfering with Because they are an obstacle, a hurdle, Lord. They are a wall that needs to be taken down so that you can get us to where you want us. But Lord, for you to get us there, you tell us you go before us, which means any battles to be fought approaches you first, not us. That's why we're called to follow and not lead. So Lord, I pray today for every one of us here that calls on your name right now, That, Lord, if there be anything in our lives where we're comparing to others, consume with ourselves, where we are so concerned about what other people think, overwhelmed by the thought of our comparison with other people, remove that from us right now. Take down that giant that you would be on our scope. Your approval, your praise, your admiration, not anyone else's. And so, Lord, right now, Take down that giant in our lives, Lord, we pray. And if you agree with that right now, say, Amen. And Lord, we lay before you that second giant as well. That giant, Lord, where we are identified by the stains of our past. By the foolish choices. By those things that have happened to us or that we've done to others. Those things, Lord, where we somehow feel like we've just a little bit tweaked or a lot tweaked because of it. And we feel like we'll always be this. We'll always be this addict. We'll always be less than the average. We'll always be not what we could have been had that not happened to us. Lord, please now show us that whoever is in you is a new creation. And you, Lord, your blood has washed us free from every stain. There is no stain your blood cannot wash clean. And so, Lord, we pray right now that you would take down that giant in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. And, Lord, we pray as well for that greed and avarice that can consume us. The part where we got to have it. Where all of a sudden, it's just we're looking and we're saying, I need this and I need this and I need this. I need a partner and I need, a, I need this and I need that. I need more money and I need this. I need a bigger house. I need a whatever. And in, in where, Lord, we recognize there are things that are wants that we call needs. But Lord, we want you to be our contentedness. We want you to be our fullness, our portion. So Lord, take down that giant and replace it with you. Take down, Lord, the, the stains and replace it with you. Take down, Lord, that, just that comparison of other people and desiring to be admired by others and replace it with you. That you would be the thing, Lord, because you are bigger than any giant. So, Lord, take down that giant right now of avarice, of accumulation, we pray. In Jesus' name, you agree I say, Amen. Amen. And, Lord, I pray right now, That you would show us that perhaps where the bigger fights are, where the giants are to be fought, are also the place where the giant fruit is to be gained. So Lord, give us a greater hunger for the the part where we would look and see that the benefit, the land that is to be gained is so good. That any fight you want to fight in between is worth it. I pray for every marriage in here that's struggling that, Lord, you would show them that the fruitfulness on the other side is so much better, so much greater than the battle that will have to be fought to get there. And let that battle be your battle, not theirs, I pray. I pray for every person here who is battling right now with their singleness. Lord, that they could find contentedness in you. I pray for every person here, Lord, that just there's something in their life and they feel like it's just on top of them. Lord, show them that you're bigger, that there's no giant in comparison to you. You are infinite. And even the biggest giant is still finite, measurable. And you are infinite. Where they may seem strong, you are almighty. So put us back in proper perspective, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, I pray right now if there be anyone or many who have yet to say yes to the gift of Jesus on the cross, 
as I pray this prayer right now, may they hear and listen and may it resound with their heart that they would in boldness say amen as well. And within this room right now, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you're not sure you have, as I pray this prayer, just listen. And at the end, if you can agree with that prayer, I ask you to give a confident and resounding Amen. And what you're saying is, let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I confess to you I'm a sinner. But you so loved me that you punished my sin on your Son, Jesus the Christ, on the cross. That all my sin could be properly punished. And as He died on the cross, my punishment died with Him. My guilty verdict died with Him. And as He rose from the grave, just as your Scripture promised, you offer me new life. And I say yes to Jesus as my Savior who died on the cross and as my Lord who resurrected to offer me new life that I could be new in you. So I say yes. Yes to Jesus as my payment, my ransom, my Savior, and as my Lord. I give myself to you now. I don't know everything here. I may not get it all, but I know this much. If you really want to make me innocent, I'd be dumb to say no. So I say yes. Have my life and make it yours now, I pray. I surrender in Jesus in your name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.